Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is our second lesson for the day, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And there we read, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He made the two groups one by destroying the wall of hostility that divided them when he abolished the law of commandments and regulations in his flesh. He did this to create in himself one new person out of the two, in this way making peace. And he did this to reconcile both to God in one body, through the cross, by putting the hostility to death on it. He also came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. You have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you too are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of our Lord. Dear fellow citizens and members of God's household, let us start today with a question that sounds easy. What makes a church? Now, the first thing that may pop into your mind is a building, perhaps one like ours, perhaps one that's more ornate, has spires and stained glass windows. But there are lots of buildings that aren't churches and lots of churches that don't have buildings. So, no, a building does not make a church. So, what does, then? Perhaps it will help to consider the case of believers in countries where it's against the law to worship God. What kind of church do they have? They certainly cannot build or dedicate buildings all their own, so they meet together in secret in what are often called underground churches, places that are out of sight of the authorities and out of the public eye. It is sad that they have to meet this way to praise God and to hear his word, but that's still church, because all we really need to have church is God and believers. Remember what Jesus promised? For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Which means we should also remember that the word church can mean different things, and that helps us understand better what this church, the one we call Christ Lutheran, really is. Let's start with a story. In 1971, a young American man named Floyd McClung went with his wife to Kabul, Afghanistan to begin a Christian outreach program. Now, this was before the Soviet invasion and long before the Taliban. The target of the McClung's mission uh, was not the local Afghan population, which was overwhelmingly Muslim. It wasn't that they had no desire to share the gospel with the Afghanis, but doing so was against the law and would have had them quickly arrested or at least deported. Instead, the McClungs were in Kabul to reach out to young Americans and Europeans who had traveled to Southern Asia seeking enlightenment, peace, nirvana, and very often cheap heroin. These young people got stuck in Kabul on the way to India or Tibet or Nepal, and the Afghan government didn't know what to do with them. So they allowed Christian missionaries to come in and work with these lost, worn-out, drugged-out, and burned-out foreigners. Now, the McClungs weren't the only Western Christians in Kabul. 
Among the foreign diplomats and business people in Afghanistan were believers who came together as strangers in a strange land and worshipped God. But they had no place of their own to worship. Everyone took it for granted that the government would never let them build a church. So they kept crowding into homes and offices, trying not to attract too much attention. Eventually, however, someone wondered whether anyone had actually asked if they could build a church. It turns out, no. So after much prayer and planning, they approached the Afghan government, and to their surprise and joy, they obtained permission to build their church. There was one condition, however. The church was to be for Westerners only. No native Afghani was to be brought there, taught there, converted there, or to have anything to do with that church. Well, you can guess what they did. They accepted that condition, and they built their house of worship. Now, of course, they may have, they may have evangelized in private, but as far as the building was concerned, they kept their end of the bargain. And what a wonderful blessing that church was for them. McClung's account described how joyful they were to finally have a place to gather together, to hear God's word, and to worship their Lord. Things were going well, and they were being careful to keep distance between their building and any Afghani contacts they made. But their happiness didn't last long. There was a sad ending to their little church. One day, not very long after they had begun to worship there, the police came. They searched the building, up and down, outside and in, everywhere, but no one could quite understand what they were looking for. The church had nothing to hide. When the police didn't find what they had searched for, they brought in the heavy equipment and began to tear the building down. Still, no word of explanation. They kept at it until everything had been leveled to the ground. And, and then the police began to search again through the rubble. And they went away disappointed. They never found what they were looking for. Sometime after this, the church members finally discovered the explanation and finally understood what was responsible for this senseless destruction. The Afghan government was worried, at angry, really, about some reports that came to them off the streets, suggesting that these Christians had taken advantage of their goodwill and they started evangelizing Afghanis there. Well, the police knew it was hidden and well-concealed because these reports they'd been hearing told them that these illegally converted Afghanis had joined together in secret because the police had heard that there was an underground church in Afghanistan. We thank God that church is not just about buildings. A church is not made with human hands, nor formed from steel and brick and stone and wood. Nor is a church, or our church, constructed by the works of Christians. It is founded and created by the work of Christ. So when you look around at the people here, you see church. You see his church. This is the house that God built. So, then, what is it made of? In the Apostle Paul's day and place, a building that you wanted to last more than a few years would have to be made of stone. Today, we use everything from logs to bricks to concrete to blocks of glass. But what is the house of God, this church, built with? Well, it's built with people. People who by themselves are too flawed and cracked to be a part of anything. People who are at odds with each other and could never form even an imperfect union. You see, we are by nature unfit for God to work with. When he looks for solid stones, he finds us to be crushed rock and sand. When he looks for straight and sturdy timbers, he finds us warped and rotten at the core. 
When he looks for tempered steel beams and rods, he finds us rusty iron and crumpled tinfoil. With such innate, irreparable imperfections, we deserve only to be thrown on the scrap heap, rejected, condemned, and sent to hell. The problem with us is sin, both the stain of sin that we inherit from our fathers and the active sins that we commit ourselves. It is sin that corrupts us, sin that defines us, sin that makes it impossible to ever satisfy God's demands for perfection, sin that makes us God's enemies. So what happened then that God could build his church using such awful materials? Or rather, what did God need to do to fix us? Before we could be joined together with other believers, God had to change us completely, right down to the core of who we are. He did this by changing our relationship with him. He made his enemies his friends. He made foreigners citizens in his kingdom. He made strangers part of his family. He made the guilty innocent. He made sinners into saints. And the first half of our reading tells us how. In fact, Paul can't seem to find enough ways to express it. The blood of Christ brought us near to God. Christ himself became our peace with God and with each other. In Christ's flesh, the harsh rule and hostility of the law was abolished. Through the cross, Christ reconciled us. Christ came and preached peace. Through Christ, we were given the right to approach the Father. Maybe it's no accident that the founders of this congregation named it after Christ. Maybe you understand that no matter what it's named, it's still Christ's church. Because it was his sacrificial suffering and death, the spilling of Christ's blood and the tearing of Christ's flesh, that paid the price for your sins and removed all your imperfections. Because it was Christ's perfect life of love and obedience, a life that no mere human could live on their own, that restored you and made you whole again, that made you holy, that earned you heaven, and that made you useful to God. Useful in building Christ's church. Useful in serving God's church. Useful in being Christ's church. So take a look around you. We sinners made saints. This is the house that God built. So where is this house built? Those Afghani police made the mistake of looking for a real physical foundation for the underground church they feared so much. But that church did have a foundation, a foundation it shared with the Westerners' church, a foundation it shared with our church, a foundation it shared with the Ephesians to whom Paul wrote, a foundation firmly planted on the word of God, the writings of the apostles and prophets, the only place we can learn of Christ, the Lord and Savior of us all. Let's ponder for a moment what it would be like to place a church on a foundation other than the scriptures. How about building a church based on the personality and gifts of a single person? That would last only as long as he or she did and then collapse, wouldn't it? You can probably think of some so-called churches like that right off the top of your head. Christ's church is based on the word and works and power and love of an almighty God who does not lie, change, age, fade away, or die. How about building a church on a foundation of popular opinion? That wouldn't be very stable, constantly shifting, floating, careening around like a building on a sand dune. It's tragic how easily we can identify modern churches with such a foundation. Christ's church is based on unchanging and timeless teachings revealed by the Holy Spirit himself for our guidance. 
How foolish it is to trade certainty for ambiguity or to exchange the wisdom of God for the favor of the masses. How about a church built on the uh, traditions and authority of men? There are beautiful ancient churches in places like Rome and Greece with this foundation. They have stability, they have longevity, but that does no good if they've built on the wrong foundation. The people of Christ's church know that men make mistakes, that men are sinful, and that popes and councils and customs are no substitute for the clear and authoritative word of God. How about forming a church that intends to center itself on the teaching of the apostles and prophets, but then leaves the maintenance and care of that foundation to other people? A church where everyone firmly agrees that a strong and solid connection to the scriptures is vital, yet everyone just checks in once a week or once a month or a few times a year and forgets about it the rest of the time. The people of such a church, like those policemen in Kabul, behave as though the only place the church's foundation should be found is in a sacred building somewhere. God save us from having such attitudes. So let us be forewarned. Since a church is built from people, those people themselves, not just what they call the church, those people need to be firmly and continuously resting on the foundation of God's word. So, what would a congregation that does have a firm foundation on the scriptures look like? How would it be visible, both to the church members themselves and to the outside world? Let's take a moment to think about it. It wouldn't be just doctrinal statements or preaching from the Bible. Would it manifest in church and communion attendance, daily devotions at the dinner table, Sunday school and Bible class attendance, actively witnessing to and inviting in unbelievers, infant and adult baptisms, and prayer? Yes, all of these and more. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets is a large and firm foundation. There's no end to what we can build on it. It's not just about remaining faithful and true to the scriptures. It's also about being thankful for them and excited about them. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Let us delve into our Bibles and use the sacraments so when people see us, they see the difference and they say this, this is the house that God built. Now there's one more thing to note about those police in Afghanistan, something that they had right. If they were truly opposed to Christianity, truly angered by the sharing of the gospel, then they were right to be afraid of the church whether it be above or underground. They were right to be afraid because God doesn't save, sanctify, and shape his church just to be a social club or a second family or an escape from an immoral society. The members of his church are fit together for a purpose. They exist as a church, as a holy temple, to give glory to God. And guess what? Christ is at the center of it all. The last two verses of our reading tell us, In him, the whole building is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Pay attention to the grammar and the tense. Paul's not saying that this happened once and is over, nor is he saying that this will happen sometime in the future. He's telling us that in Christ we are being built together, that we are joined together, and that we are becoming something wonderful a place for God to settle down and live. 
Now, if God is living in the temple of his church, if we are being built together into God's dwelling, then we can't help but show the world. We show it in our worship. We show it in our witness. We show it in our doctrine. We show it in the way we live our lives. We show it in the, in the way we love each other. This is what God wants. This is what God builds his house for. You see, a temple where the God of infinite love and amazing grace is living is a place where people who need that love and grace and life can go. A church where Christ comes and lives is going to be a messy, untidy place because it will be a place where imperfect, hurting, wounded, damaged, and corrupt sinners come to hear the good news of forgiveness and be healed. It is a place where addicts and abusers and adulterers come to repent, be forgiven, and start over with God's and others' help. It's a place where battered wives and abandoned husbands can come to be assured of the constant, unfailing love that God alone can give and that his people alone can show. And the church where God makes his dwelling is a colorful place, filled with people of all different colors and classes and races and backgrounds, because we all need to hear God's word. And that is where we hear it. This is a home where those who were once far away from God's love have been brought near. This is a household where those who were at war with God have been given peace. This is the house that God built. So we began by asking, what makes a church? And I hope we've answered it. Let's close by asking, what does our church look like? Well, knowing what makes a church, from where I stand, it looks good. Here you are, God's children, redeemed by Christ, formed into a body. May we never forget him. Here it is, the word of God, the foundation for all we do. May we always stand firm. And here Christ is, dwelling among us as he promised to do. May we always give glory to God. Christ Lutheran Church is the place to be. After all, this is the house that God built. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.